Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf, and I am joined in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK, by Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University and David Sanger of the New York Times and off in sunny California is Corey Shockey uh, waking up early for this podcast. Guys, since the last podcast, we, of course, have seen General Michael Flynn plead guilty to one count Um, among so many he could be charged with. Uh, And uh, this has been a turning point, uh, not just in the Mueller investigation, but apparently in the mental health of the president of the United States, who is tweeting ridiculous stuff or having his lawyers do so. So to start, let's talk a little bit about this turning point in the brewing constitutional crisis that is taking place in America. Let's hear from the Georgetown Law School. I don't think we have a brewing constitutional crisis, David. I'm I'm wondering if you know something that I don't. Well, we'll get back to that in a second. He does, but he can't tell you what that is. If the president of the United States' lawyer Uh says that the president is incapable of obstructing justice— because he is the ultimate administrator of justice, that suggests— I'm pretty sure Nixon's lawyer said the same thing. In fact, I believe Nixon himself said more or less the same thing. So this is not new, though. Trump has been maintaining more or less this for— But this was the tweet over this past weekend uh, that the president put out and then later said— that his lawyer had actually written it for him. Which is actually really embarrassing for his lawyer, Dowd, because uh, it, it took about you know six seconds after that tweet went up, um, a tweet saying that, that you know, Trump fired uh, – uh, what's his name? I'm already being unable to remember. Who Flynn. was that guy? That guy named Flynn. Holy that forgettable mackerel. Flynn. <laughs> Holy mackerel. This is, hi, folks. You we're experts. That guy. We're here to help you figure out the news. <laughs> Sorry. She spent two, two solid weeks in the dark of the silo it's, underneath it's that It's been a rough couple of weeks. Yeah. It's, it, or more, more to the point, I should let our listeners know I have a bad cold and I'm heavily drugged. I'm, I've been heavily medicated in order to participate in yeah. this Do you think that Rothkopf has ever done one of these broadcasts without being heavily <laughs> Um, but anyway, I'm a, I'm a kind of a Jewish scientist. I take no drugs. It's a that you know, it's like Christian science, Wait but a minute. It's the Jewish equivalent. That was really confusing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We um, just don't take medication. Well, getting back to Flynn, uh, whose name I, I it's beginning to sound kind of familiar. Uh, Trump said in a tweet over the weekend that he he fired him because he lied to Pence, the vice president, and to the FBI, which was which was an odd thing to say because it suggested that you know if you 
if he knew he lied to the FBI, then why didn't – why was he then asking Comey to go easy on him and so forth? But then Trump recovered from this by saying, well, actually it was my lawyer who drafted that tweet, not me, which doesn't really help very much for two reasons. Uh, number one, Trump is nonetheless the guy who sent the tweet. Uh, so presumably if it was false and contained false information, he could have said, I'm not going to tweet that out. That's incorrect. So so I think he he owns that tweet now, uh, whoever initially drafted it. Number two, if it was drafted by his lawyer who, who was saying, yes, that was me, it was an idiotic thing to do and not the kind of thing that your lawyer should be doing. If I were Trump, the person I'd be firing right now would be <laughs> would be the lawyer. I'd say, thanks a lot, man. You just had me tweet out something potentially incriminating. I do not think it's a constitutional crisis, but it certainly is. Yet no, another I, I, small the way brick. I look at it is it's kind of like there's a constitutional crisis forming off the coast of Africa. And it's Does spinning it have a name? up and <laughs> it's beginning to, yeah, right. It's called Marlene or Donald. And 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 it's sort of a tropical storm and it's coming our way. Uh-huh. We can just see it coming across the Atlantic. David. And well, here I thought we had already been hit by Hurricane Donald. Oh, we ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah, remember those fires in your neighborhood? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so first things first. I want to know who else is on the list for drafting tweets, tweets for the president. <laughs> okay. Second, I want to know how I get on the yeah, list. Yeah. Okay. Thirdly, <laughs> <laughs> what would you tweet on right. Trump's behalf? That's right. what I want to know. <laughs> Thirdly. If if it was in fact the lawyer, I have no reason to doubt John Dow, but if in fact it was the lawyer, how many lawyers do you know who tweet and then put exclamation points at the end of their tweet? <laughs> it's, yeah. They it's teach us how to do that in law school. There's a whole class on the, the strategic <laughs> use of the exclamation point. No, yeah. there's a whole lot. And yeah. Does Georgetown Law School have a tweeting class? We do. That, we do. Yeah. Right. How to, how to tweet for your client. How to tweet your – In these small to, hours of the morning. How to tweet your client into impeachment because but. I believe it was the first article of impeachment against Richard Nixon that accused him of obstruction of justice. I thought you were going and, to say that there was a whole tweeting scandal that had been hushed up. Yeah, I, it was hushed up. See, I didn't go to law school and now here's Rosa making me feel guilty for the fact that I missed <laughs> yeah. the tweeting. It's going to be really hard to understand this whole episode, yeah, David, right. without do that they, kind of legal knowledge. Do they teach tweeting at the Kennedy School? They, 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 of course they do. But it's called – there it's called strategic options with your Twitter <laughs> account. <Yeah. laughs> well so, done, David. So, uh, so a few things about, uh, about this past couple of days. Um, first of all, the sentence that uh, Flynn would receive would be maybe six months under this agreement. As you point out, there was a long list of charges they could have done and presumably there are some they contemplated against his son. Right? And presumably there's some, by the way, which we'll get to, that they could yet do. They, they, they said we outright. Do, we do not know which right. are off the table and which are still on the table. However, the main thing we don't know is they would not have offered a deal this sweet unless they knew precisely what. Flynn was going to say and testify to. And uh, you don't even need to have gone to law school to figure that one out. And so the, the big mystery out here is what does he have? There's a second level mystery. If you look at what it was that he lied about to um, 
the Vice President Pence and to the FBI. And was the, the Alleg- same. Allegedly lied about nope. to the Vice he's, President. He's, nope, he's, nope. he's, he's pled guilty. He's now pled guilty. He's now pled guilty. He's, he's now he's, a He's felon. now pled guilty at least to lying to the FBI. No, no, to the FBI. I'm saying yeah. he allegedly lied to the Vice President. Oh, yes. Th- th- okay. All right. right. So if All you, right. it's a question of whether you believe the Vice President's account here. But, exactly. Okay. That was but, my point. <laughs> yes. Um, but what he uh, lied to the FBI about, the big question this leaves is, why lie about this? Why not say, yeah, I was in the midst of the presidential transition. The president of the United States had just issued a series of sanctions, fairly mild sanctions, against uh, the Russians. And you may remember these sanctions were they expelled 35 people and closed a couple of, uh, of consulate properties or as we've discussed before, David, in other contexts, it was the perfect 19th century response to a 21st century cyber attack. Okay, So uh, they did this. The Russian ambassador calls. There's one good answer. Sir, I hear you. I understand. I would urge you not to go retaliate. And we'll be happy to take this up with you as soon as the last inaugural ball is over on January 20th. It's the first item on our agenda. Why don't you come in and have the first appointment on January 21st? And maybe we'll discuss what we're going to do with the sanctions and the future of Russian relations. That would have been the easy, perfect answer. Now, then the question is, did they not have the experience to offer that answer, which is possible since yeah, they didn't exactly had right? And in Washington, given the choice between conspiracy and incompetence, I've usually found in years of reporting here, incompetence usually wins, OK? Or second option. <laughs> that was the Corey laughter cue. We have a button here, by the way. Corey's not even here. Which... <laughs> and, uh, and, and the second option is that there was something else going on here between the Russians and uh, the administration that only Flynn knows about or that Flynn's the only one they flipped who knows about. And that's the story we're going to hear. And the big journalistic mystery of the next few months is what is that story if there is one? Well, two points before I get to Corey. One is, as Rosa, who's both a law school dean and a cop, will tell you. And who went to law school. And who went to law school. <laughs> exactly. On top of all of this. But um, I went to I went to a Yale Law School where they don't really teach you very much. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll come back to that, or certainly some of our listeners will. But uh, in any event, uh, in the first case, there is the example of Martha Stewart, who yes, lied. and whenever I think Martha of, Stewart was of a foreign Mike policy Flynn, I think of the... Martha Stewart. Well, let me let me explain why you might. Where are you going with this? Day? Well, yeah. let me explain why you might. What Martha... do they have in common? Convicted felons. Well, exactly. But what was the crime Martha Stewart was convicted of? Bad interior decoration? Yeah. No, she was convicted (laughs) of lying about a crime that didn't actually exist. In other words, contrary to the assertions of Alan Dershowitz and the Fox Network and some others, it doesn't matter what you lie to the FBI about. It's actually a crime to lie to the FBI about anything at all. Um. And, and, and that's written into the law. But the second point with regard to— This is significant because all of us were going to deny ever having been on deep state radio. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, you can deny it to your heart's content, just not to an FBI agent. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, but, but, but 
in in any event, beyond um, that, with regard to the 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 Flynn, um, uh, lo, you know, lies and and where this may go, that you've you've talked about a couple of the places, David. But of course, um, part of what we're learning is that the exchange with uh, Kislyak came on a day, December 29th, when Flynn was engaged in a lot of back and forth with everybody at the White House. And we don't know how involved President Trump was in all of that and how salient all of that is to how involved Trump was to guiding things with regard to the rest of Russia. So part of part of it may be what Flynn did. Part of it may be just how deeply engaged in some of these illegal or dubious activities the the the, the president of the, uh, or the president elect was. Um, Corey, where where do you think this leaves us? Uh, so two things. The first is that. Uh, I, too, did not go to law school, and yet it seems to me an obvious point that the legal counsel to the president of the United States is incorrect when he asserts that the president cannot obstruct justice. Um, There's both case law showing that the president can can be charged with and held accountable for obstructing justice. I Um, I just want to interject. Both of the last two presidents who were impeached or were involved in the impeachment process were charged with obstruction of justice. Yes. So so that the White House, that that's the line the White House is trying to defend suggests to me that they're pretty worried about that being the charge that comes. Yeah, it's not really the stand you want to take. Yeah. And and if that's right. So it suggests to me that's what they're worried about. And and trying to to build a barrier along a largely indefensible terrain feature. The second thing that um, that I think is coming our direction uh, as a hurricane from offshore is that whatever the legal issues are, impeaching a president or finding a president guilty of obstruction of justice can't simply be a legal matter. It's also fundamentally a political matter. Which and, is why this isn't going to happen. In the, which is why this isn't going to happen in, in the, the next in the 18 next, months. In the next 15 months. <laughs> Corey's got to the essential point as uh, always. Yeah, by the way, it's not so, 18 months. It's 13 months. But, 13 months. But who's, who's but, counting? But who's counting? <laughs> I, I really think the possibilities of how this gets handled. I do think actually things are likely to happen within the next 18 months, David um, Sanger, which is that the politics of whether the president has public support will dramatically affect how most of the players uh, interpret actions and the actions they take in response to them. It would be so hard for it would be hard for Trump to have Virginia less public support than he already has. The Alabama elections that are forthcoming, the the congressional elections uh, next year, all of these things are going to affect the extent to which people defend the president, the extent to which the president's supporters 
deny or recalibrate their attitudes about the president. And and both the legal and the political consequences are hugely important. By the way, I am pretty close to saying, Corey, you're exactly right. Um, what? Um, in the sense that I do think there are political circumstances prior to the election that could force action here. And one of those has to do with the fact that I don't think the Republican Party has much use for Donald Trump after this tax bill gets through um, because they will start getting into campaign mode. And as they get into campaign mode, they're going to start looking at him primarily to the degree to which he affects their own races. And to the extent to which he affects them negatively or this issue you know, continues to deteriorate, they might well say, okay, we're done with him. Because as we've seen, loyalty is not like the biggest virtue of uh, either political party, frankly. Um, and, and, and so that could turn the heat up on, on, on Trump during the course of the year. But you were, you were making a face during all of this. No, so. I, I, first of all, Trump's already <laughs> extremely unpopular. Um, well, he still has thirty-seven point eight percent approval. But, but, but not changed. his base has barely changed. Um, you know, tiny little, tiny little, maybe chipping away when we're when we're feeling really when we're wearing the tiara of optimism. Speaking but, of his base, by the way, there's a direct correlation between his support and the number of people involved in the opioid epidemic in the United States. I mean, <laughs> you think that's an alternative <laughs> explanation, is yeah. that? But his base has not. I mean, the main thing is this base really in any statistical way, hasn't tripped away. That, that's the, right. The big mystery here is those independent voters who went with him and yeah. the question is, do they now have a different view or not? I and think, on that, we've got very divided Yeah, and, and so my, my it's a little hard for me to see what could happen in the next uh, year that it, if if things haven't yet peeled away, those people well, in this I, what would peel? So Roy Moore is doing just fine after molesting 14-year-olds. Okay, like I, what but, exactly would it take? Well, I caution you not to use national poll numbers when the issue true, true. is congressional districts. And the question is – And I think we're much worse off when you go up district by district than when you look at national Well, polls. I think that there's some evidence to suggest that some Republicans in California and there are yeah. others in other places are at risk because of this and may actually be at more risk post this tax bill than they were prior to this Yeah, I actually don't think the tax bill is going to be perceived as a big win for the Republicans. Uh, I, I, I think that that was a bad move uh, on their part. Um, I, I think if anything is likely to help tilt the midterms a little bit more in the direction of a Democratic victory, it's, it's the Republican tax bill. Uh, uh, by which I mean the tax bills that ordinary people are going to find themselves faced with. Um, so, so I think that's going to hurt them and I think that's going to hurt them more than any possible Trump-related news is going to hurt Donald Trump or the Republican Party at this point. So, David, one of you talking about the great journalistic question of the next few months. There are a few. One of them is um, what did Flynn know? But, but the second one is you don't flip Flynn – in order to, you know, get to the, you know, uh, to just 
purely resolve his case. You're going after somebody further up the food That's chain. That's why the great question is what he knows. Because right. as the Times established, I thought, pretty well in the Sunday paper, Flynn was not an individual actor here. He was reporting back and forth. There's this fascinating email with Katie McFarlane where she laid out pretty accurately, I think, what the three possibilities of what Obama was doing with those sanctions were all about. Not to mention saying that she thought the Russians had thrown the election. Well, it wasn't clear whether what she was saying was that she thought they had thrown the election or the narrative of the Obama administration would be that the Russians threw the election. So you have to give her – it was, it was pretty ambiguously uh, worded. Uh, and I suspect that if we had an opportunity to ask the future ambassador to Singapore, because that's her next post, what she meant there, she was probably going to argue for the, option The way two. this is going, it, th her next post could be Iceland. I mean, you know, she's – Yes, Iceland is a nice place. <laughs> Iceland's a nice place. Singapore is even nicer. It's warm all yeah. the time. Yeah, no. Singapore is nicer. Yeah, I think she's – she may know. be – she may not be a, a favorite in this crowd. But but what I was getting at was that, you know, the, the, the names that you hear mentioned are – Jared Kushner, uh, Donald Trump Jr., or, or the president himself. Let's just take a, a moment and let's look at the case of Jared Kushner. Because as it happened this day that Flynn was doing all these conversations with Kislyak, was the day that the Trump administration uh, was discussing following through per Kushner with requests from Bibi Netanyahu to um, uh, weigh in against the Obama administration on a U.N. vote with regard to Israel. Um, and I would add that since that, over the past few days, we've also gotten to see Jared Kushner in action, something we, we don't often get to I, I see. Went, I went to it yesterday. It was at the Saban Forum. He spoke in public. Right. He didn't and say much, but he spoke in public. Well, he didn't say much, but what he didn't say was quite interesting. He spoke about Middle East peace. Uh, he did not use the term two-state solution. Um, he, um, you know, seems to not think the Palestinians have any role to play in an Israeli-Palestinian uh, solution. I did not read that into this into the talk. Well, he did. He didn't speak about it uh, in a way that he seemed like they were engaged. He was talking about it really in the context of Iran um, and. Uh, but go ahead. You, you were yeah. there. Go, go, go ahead so, and say what you what. – What I heard was he took some positions that were clearly at odds with Netanyahu's position of what a, what a final settlement had to look like. Um, he took a lot of positions that I'm sure are at odds with what various Palestinian factions were there. He did not give on the question of whether the president throws a monkey wrench into all of this later this week by uh, designating Jerusalem as the true capital of Israel or going the next step and moving the embassy, which of course he promised he would do during the campaign. My guess is that if you watch how Trump has operated in all of these previous cases, he will split the baby here, not move the embassy, but declare that he believes that Jerusalem is the true capital and not make it clear whether he's talking about East Jerusalem, West Jerusalem and all that. Jared Kushner was very careful in front of the Saban Forum, which is uh, run by Brookings and uh, financed in large part by Chaim Saban, who's uh, uh, well known in the entertainment world. Uh, he was not exactly an unbiased observer on this. On, oh, that's right, and he was being interviewed by Chaim Saban, uh, which is even more significant. To it. He was extremely careful 
not to get into anything specific. He really stayed at 30,000 feet. Do you think he was time. careful to or he's incapable of it? No, I think he was being careful to. I think that at this point, they've actually begun to develop and outline what their proposal and plan is going to look like. And uh, I think he just thought there was absolutely no advantage in revealing a so, piece of So that. perhaps some of the things that I read about this, which led to the conclusion about the, the Palestinians not playing a central role in this, were linked to the, the this notion that the Palestinians have said explicitly that if you move the embassy or tilt in that direction, it's all they're over. out. That's right, which raises the question, would the president throw a grenade into this thing that kept the entire thing from happening? And the answer is, if you look at the Paris Accord, if you look at the Iran deal, uh, if you look at the um, uh, U.S. participation in the U.N. effort on migration, yes, he's perfectly capable of doing exactly that. I think, I mean, David, tell me if you think this is wrong, but but my sense from uh – Looking at the uh, reporting on Kushner's Saban Center remarks was that the story was precisely what he didn't say in response to a comment by Saban. Saban is interviewing him. Saban says something to him along the lines of, well, you know, we understand that you and your team were very involved in trying to get others to not go along with what the U.S. wanted at the Security Council. Um, and Kushner, which Saban su- supported that effort, right? Yeah, actually, and, and Saban I actually said, believe he began by congratulating, and he said, "Thank him you for it." Right. And he said, "He right. said, you know, I don't think that was illegal, and I want to thank you for it." And Kushner doesn't say, "I can't comment on anything having to do with that." Kushner doesn't say that's actually not the case. Kushner nods and, quote unquote, appears to mouth the words, "Thank you." Um, right. Which but, is to say that Kushner seemed to be acknowledging that that, in fact, is is what had occurred, which is consistent with the, right. the so, Flynn stuff. So the question here is, was this a Logan Act violation yeah. in which you had people who were not yet running the U.S. government arguing to a, to a um, foreign power to undercut the policy of the sitting it, U.S. Is government? Is there any possible interpretation of the facts where it's not a Logan Act violation? There isn't with the only – the one exception that this would have been one thing if it took place in the campaign and when it's a transition, it's all a little bit fuzzy and Donald Trump's transition would not be the first presidential transition to ignore what should be the usual rule, which is we have one president at a time. Thank you. I'll deal with you after noon on January 20th. This this goes back to why did Flynn lie to the FBI on this particular question, right? Because two things are bizarre about the lie to the FBI. One is that presumably as the former head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, Flynn of all people – should have known that that right. we monitor the electronic communications coming out of the Russian embassy with the Russian ambassador and should have known that any lie would be would be easily caught as a result. But but number two, why lie well, any? Why not just say – Back to my say, comment about incompetence. Yes, yeah, no, right. no. Right. But number two, why not just say, gosh, fellas, you know, yeah, of course I talked to the Russian ambassador about this. We were about to – you know, this administration was about to come in. We believe very strongly that this policy was a bad idea. It, was that wrong? Huh? I didn't, well, well, you but, know. But wait a second. You know, I think part of this also, Corey, has to do with another issue. And the the, the, the pro- part of the problem is going to be, you know, pulling these threads apart. But the other issue has to do with the quid pro quo with the Russians 
and the notion of was this administration going to uh, get the Russians out of the Obama sanctions? Was was Flynn just saying, cool your jets, we'll take care of this shortly um, to, to the Russians? So that's that's another part of the scenario, correct? Yeah, I which takes us back to David Sanger's point about uh, it's sure going to be interesting what Mike Flynn says the purpose of this engagement was. He was also aware that Kushner was trying to set up a back channel that couldn't be monitored by American intelligence, which, again, for somebody who had been uh, the head of the DIA is shocking. Um, so, so I actually think there are a whole bunch of shoes that are still going to drop on this, but what makes Mike Flynn's potential testimony so important is that he can say, this is what, this is why we were doing this. Um, and it will make it very difficult for people around the president and the president himself to be able to distance themselves. He's the guy who can explain motive. Yes, but he's not the only guy who's party to this investigation either. I mean, we're focused on him at the moment, but they've talked to Don McGahn. They've talked to, uh, they've asked apparently a lot of questions about Kushner. Those conversations will take place. It does seem to me, David, that we're in fairly early stage of what we're doing here. Well, the president was right in when he said that this was going to wrap up around Thanksgiving to Christmas. He just didn't say what year. That's an excellent point. But the president's lawyers, since that's the the Ty Cobb position on this thing, really seem to be a bunch of yahoos, are they not? Well, I think that I think that. And by one the of way, the things... I say yahoo because my father, who was an immigrant and got naturalized in Texas, instead of <laughs> learning how to say yahoo for his whole life, would refer to people as yahoos. But he was. <laughs> I like it. Did he ever use the phrase in reference to his son? We, we need no, to know. You know he did. You know he did. <laughs> well, um, no, I, th- I think that one of the things that's coming out here is that for Trump's lawyers, as for Trump's whole team of political advisors, you know, they're they're not used to this level of scrutiny. You know, the, that's the, a great that, point. That whole business, uh, you know, we've had several incidents of, of uh, Trump lawyers yakking away noisily in public restaurants, sitting next to New York Times reporters and so forth. We and encourage that, by the way. We encourage that, yeah, right? Yeah. Being <laughs> quite astonished when their private conversation was By the then, way, at a restaurant that is fundamentally 50 feet from, from the bureau. New York Times. Yeah, well, right. I don't know if you were here during the episode. I once sat at the Ritz-Carlton next to Kushner's lawyer as he was trying to pitch his book deal. Right, right. No, this is, it's kind of amazing. And was like characterizing his client. And I was like, man, if I were really a journalist, I could report on this. Well, we solved two mysteries now. (laughs) Um, But but yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's like they keep forgetting that the entire... You know, news core of the entire nation and quite a few other nations, not to mention all of their intelligence services, are paying attention to what they do and, and hanging out the same restaurant. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's weird. It, well, it is weird. Th- but but there's also the possibility. Remember, 
Remember all those letters that were circulating around, the never Trump letters by the National Security? I remember those. Corey, yes, do you remember I wonder those? Corey, do you too. have any memory of those? <laughs> maybe it's so, – so I did. I did have this moment where I thought maybe John Dowd is secretly a never Trumper. So what's that mean? That meant that during not only the campaign but during the transition, they didn't have anybody around who would sort of step back and say, hey, guys – We've done this a few times. There's like some bright lines out here. And here's the kind of thing you don't say to a foreign ambassador. And I just don't think that at the point they were going through the transition, they had anybody around who actually could say, uh-uh, not well, till January 20th. Well, this, this 20th. brings up a point, And maybe you want to be the first to comment on this, Corey. But prior to entering into this recording session, um, Rosa was telling a little story about Larry Summers – I believe. No, I wasn't. You were telling a story no, no, about no, Larry but, Summers. No, no. I, wa- I was telling one story about Larry Summers, but there was the story about the pointing C people. That that was not my story. That was, oh, was that, that your story? That was Corey's story. Oh, that was your story. That was, so, so Corey. That was me telling but so, that story. So Corey was telling the story about, the, you know, if you point C people, you get a D administration. But Trump only had F people to choose from. And so, you know, where do you end up there? I mean, what we've got is a bunch, you know, it's, it's like of yahoos. It's of yahoos. You've got, you've got, you know, Corey Lewandowski, you know, getting supplanted and improved upon by like Paul, Paul Manafort. Manafort. Right. You know? So, so I, I actually have a different view than that. Um, flattering as it is to think that those of us who signed the Never Trump letters constitute the entirety of conservative um, intelligence on this subject. It's not true. And I think that there were and are lots of people who didn't sign those letters, who the Trump administration could have reached out to, to participate in the administration or to advise them informally. And the Trump campaign team and the Trump White House simply chose not to. So they did, they're did. they not it, dumb by accident. It, they are dumb they, on purpose. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. It, dumb you know, dumb on purpose. Dumb by design. The, <laughs> it's wrong to blame the folks who signed the Never Trump letters for the – for the ignorant choices of the administration, because there were were and are lots of other people who weren't signatories who would know enough not to try and establish a private back channel with the Russians that couldn't be monitored by American intelligence, and who are smart enough to know that undercutting an existing American administration is a terrible thing to do for the country. Well, let me, let- uh, so they they have to own their mistakes, not to say... It was impossible for them to make better choices. No, that, agency people, agency. Nobody, nobody was, nobody was blaming it on you guys for having principles. Um, but as we, <laughs> thank as, you, David. Yeah, no. But as as we look ahead to this thing, one other thing seems to have changed over the course of the past weekend, David, and that is that the Trump administration has switched from going collusion, no collusion. There was no collusion. Collusion, what is collusion, you know, to obstruction. There was no obstruction, you know. And I think they're starting to realize that they're fighting a multi-front 
campaign here. Right. So, they should have stuck with collusion because there's no crime associated with collusion. Okay. There is cons- there is a crime of conspiracy. Here, the person who never mm-hmm. went to law school is, you know, spouting very knowledgeably about Well, conspiracy about the, doesn't exist. You, there's no crime of conspiracy in the abstract. It's conspiracy to, to do, do some XYZ. other thing that right. is independently unlawful. But uh, in this particular case, the obstruction case is hard for them because they have to – it seems pretty clear that one argument Mueller is exploring is whether or not the firing of Comey was itself an act of obstruction. And that would require having people testify to the intent of the president at the time of whether or not it was to basically shut down or, the, the or, Russian or, investigation. Although it, you know, we, we do have a lawyer here and, 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 I, and I think this only one? leads to, to – no, I think only one. But but to have our to leads to kind of a fun little game that we might play. But just dealing with this potential count, he could be guilty of obstruction in the case of Comey. He could be guilty of a pattern of, of obstruction with regard to Sally Yates and uh, Comey and a host of other activities, including lies and tweets and other kinds of things. Um, and as I understand it, that also could be a way to approach it. But I was thinking, Rosa, perhaps it would be useful service to the nerds of the deep state um, to to list what we think the various counts or cases that could be made against Trump and company are. One is obstruction. What are the other areas where they're I, you vulnerable? You know, we, we, we don't know for sure what that list is because we don't know what Flynn has told Mueller. We don't know. There's a, there's a lot we don't know. I mean, but clear, clearly the, the, the swirling gossip slash reporting um, suggests that obstruction of justice is possible, that various, uh, you know, conspiracy to act in a manner that's against the interests of the United States, very all the way up to potentially stuff that gets into espionage and so forth, not to mention all the kinds of money laundering and financial crimes that they got Manafort with. There's um, also campaign finance violations. Not to mention campaign finance violations. So it's it's a I think there's all kinds of stuff out there possibly, but everything hinges on exactly what the the evidence turns out to be. I, I do think, I mean, I've said this before, and, and we can come back in five years and see if I prove to be right. I think Trump is going to end up either being indicted or, or, or resigning or being impeached and, and being pardoned prior to an indictment coming out. I, I do think that the the likelihood that there either is or there will be enough from a legal perspective to to charge him with something and have an indictment be issued is is almost overwhelming. Um, I, I think that's a totally separate question from do, does Trump ever serve a millisecond of prison time? Uh, very, very unlikely um, for all kinds of reasons. But, but I, I suspect that we will look back and he will have been a legally disgraced president who is viewed as viewed by the majority of Americans who believe that there is such a thing as real news uh, as as having committed crimes. But even if Mueller – let's say for a minute that Mueller came up with three or four counts of whatever he thought it was. Isn't the political tradition and perhaps the legal obligation that you then take that to um, 
the Congress and just no, give that, it to them as a report. You don't go to a grand jury and say indict. You, you could. You could. I mean, I mean, th- that's why I say I, that's one of the reasons that I say that I think it's very, very unlikely that that Donald Trump ever ever stands in a courtroom. Well, and also you, you can know. do unindicted co-conspirators. You right? can. We had right. that happen. Right. right. You can do that. You know, no, I, I think it's. I, I think Donald Trump never never stands inside of a courtroom. Um, but I think I think he's either indicted and he resigns. Um, or he's and then he's pardoned, or or they have enough to issue an indictment. They go to Congress and he's impeached, uh, you know, or they choose not to impeach him, but they put pressure on him to resign. And they, you know, it's, I, I think one of those things ends up happening because they don't want to have well, and the also president. There's a, there's another very significant possibility, and that is that ultimately Trump's undoing is a crime that has yet to be committed. Uh, which is to say he is forced to testify and he lies while he's testifying or uh, there are other forms of obstruction, et cetera, He pleads et diminished responsibility on the grounds that he's incapable of telling yeah, the truth. I, by the way, completely agree with Rose's interpretation of this. And I also agree with David's prediction, although this is not what he meant, when he said this will be up by Thanksgiving although, or Christmas. I, I, I think – Thanksgiving or Christmas of some year in the future. I I don't think Donald Trump will will make it past next December as president of the United Hmm. States. All right. Okay. All right. We're putting money down. Put your markers out here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, what's the downside? I I do. I also was absolutely certain Hillary Clinton would be elected president. I think Jared is in deep doo-doo. I think Don Jr. is in deep doo-doo. Uh, I think that there is a much higher likelihood that we do see those guys, you know, having to be pardoned by Trump. Well, also there are things outside. But then maybe the there scope, will be New York State charges I mean, coming. That would outside be nice. the scope of Mueller's core investigation, which we he may or may not be investigating, money laundering, things back from the other biz, right. business, right. other kinds of corruption things. We don't even know what's going we, on. In we that. don't, and that's really significant because if you look at who Mueller has hired, he's hired a lot of people who focus on money laundering, have a long career right. prosecuting that. And presumably, he has all of the tax returns that we don't have because he can subpoena them. He can get them from the, um, he can get them from the IRS. And one of the things that seemed to anger President Trump when he heard about Mueller and Mueller's powers was that Mueller could go off and get a tax return without the president ever being notified of it. Well, that's kind of interesting. Corey, I think there's another issue and I'd like to spend the last six, seven minutes that we've got here talking about this other issue. It's very easy to look at each one of these developments and zero in on the crimes, the Washington drama, the budding constitutional crisis. But you know, when I look at Trump's Russia policy or I look at Trump's policy towards countries where he has holdings or I look at Trump's policies in, 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 in you know, other places in the Middle East, he's doing some really bad foreign policy. You know, his Russia policy is, is you know, even, even if it's based on a fairly reasonable premise, which is might as well be able to talk to the Russians, he's sort of giving them free reign to remake the the Middle East in their name, continue to do what they're doing with Ukraine, not be punished for hacking our elections, giving them cover on 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 the hacking of the elections and so forth. There is just a, a, a case to be made that Donald Trump is really, really bad at foreign policy. I think it is incontestable, David. 
um, that that this is an administration that does not have an integrated political, military, diplomatic approach to the world. That they seem to have um, wildly inaccurate views of what trade policy does. They seem to consider allies a burden, not a benefit. And yet so many of their the policies they're trying to achieve, not least North Korea, uh, the fight against ISIS, defending Western Europe, all require um, allied active involvement and our reliance on them. There's just so much that the administration has wrong and is just blithely, willfully ignorant about. I heard uh, the folks uh, working the national security strategy, including um, General McMaster, talking <laughs> about this brilliant new insight of the national security strategy, and they don't realize it's fundamentally in contradiction with itself. So yeah, they are withdrawing from important arenas of collaborative activity. They're withdrawing from important arenas of contested activity, and nonetheless belligerently insisting that everything's a success. And, and of course, you know, a Palestinian deal that the Palestinians hate is only the latest ramification of these possibilities. The only, uh, they seem not to understand that doubling down on Saudi Arabia as the country that defines our Middle East policy has downsides. I, I, I just think they're breathtakingly in error on America's role in the world. Yeah, as the assassination of Saleh in Yemen seems to indicate, given that that was one of the the bets that the the, the Saudis had made. Um, David, I know you wanted to say something. I just want to point out very briefly, and then we're going to wrap this up. That. Um, uh, Corey mentioned the national security strategy, and you're a national security reporter and a specialist. Uh, based on my study of national security strategies since they were formally submitted, don't you think it would be an appropriate uh, modification for them to have them printed on soft four-ply paper on rolls? <laughs> I, I, think you, I think you've got this entirely wrong, David. The, the strategy should come out as a series of threaded tweets. Well, that would – I, I actually, actually – I really the, couldn't do it any harm. The reality is that the tweets of the president will be much more important to the national security strategy of the United States than the national security strategy. Well, That's I, a I, great point. Um, I would modify you – can, you can say, David, you had it exactly right and I'll say, David, I think you've got it. Partly wrong. <laughs> okay, which and, I okay. consider a win. Right, way. right. So um, the the people who've been drafting the strategy have been highly aware that they have to incorporate the concepts that are in the tweets because when the strategy comes out and we all write these stories, they don't want to see a story that says the strategy says X and the tweet said Y. Okay, so they're they're pretty sensitive to this, and actually, the people you have to give them credit for this. Most administrations wait a year and a half or two years before they turn out their strategy. They're actually doing this one early up, and they've hired a actually very serious person to actually put the thing together. Then the question is, does it mean anything when it actually all comes out? 
Um, now, the point I was going to make, just to build on Corey's uh, point about the meta issue of are we alienating all the people we need to execute our foreign policy? When we look back at this era, I think we will look at three big things. One, did we end up acquiescing to making North Korea a or letting North Korea become a nuclear power that we're going to have to live with for a long time? And I think the answer to that is a succession of presidents did it and President Trump's vow to go solve that problem, I, I don't see how he's going to get there. Secondly, did we have a long-term strategy to deal with the rise of China? I haven't seen one yet. And thirdly, do we have a short and medium-term strategy to deal with what should be the much easier issue of dealing with Vladimir Putin's aggression? And not only do I see none, what I see right now is complete acquiescence. And that's, to my mind, the core things we're going to be looking back at. I think David's exactly right. David is exactly right. David David is exactly right. <laughs> I must be wrong if all yeah. you guys are like, yeah. <laughs> You notice that Corey was very silent on that yeah, issue. No, it's, it's, it's <laughs> right. David, David is a, a believer in the Groucho Marx uh, pr approach that he wouldn't want to be a member of a club that would have him for a member. But, um, but, but Rosa, here in the final word, ass backwards sounds like to me. That's two words, but we'll take that. No, that's actually hyphenated, is it not? I think it is hyphenated. Yeah. yeah. I think it still counts as two words. Well, we'll have to refer that to our Scrabble that's judges. That's what I learned in law school. Uh, <laughs> that is what you learned. See, they do teach something at Yale. <laughs> <laughs> she was a punctuation concentration at Yale Law School. <laughs> Um, the, the, the approach that David describes of writing a national security strategy to conform with the random tweets of a demented man strikes me as ass backwards. Right. And we do not envy poor Nadia Shadlow, whose job it is to attempt to make some sense of this. And who was the very serious player and I was she's the very discussing. serious player. No, all of you yeah. think she's a serious player. She is a serious player. But guess what? National security strategies, when they're taken seriously, are meaningless. Yes. National security strategies in the case of this administration. Or even meaningless -er. That's meaningless another word. Meaningless Another, another thing she learned at Yale Law School. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we have come to the end of yet another edition of our soap opera as the Trump turns, uh, or as the Flynn turns in this particular case. Um, uh, but we hope you'll come back uh, later this week for another episode uh, where we will pick up wherever events have left us. Thank you, David Sanger, for being exactly right all the time. Thank you, Rosa Brooks, for being exactly right, even while drugged. And thank you, Corey Shockey, for being exactly right, even while being overly optimistic. Um, we, we, we welcome you all back. Thank you very much. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.